0: It's good to be here yes it's good for me to be here i know that much i've heard about wellspring and what's happening here just through the grapevine i've never gotten to be in this building before it's a stunning building and um, I'm just, yeah, I'm just thrilled to be among you. And Dave and I go way back, Dave and Karen and I, so it's a joy to be with these guys, too. Um, as Dave mentioned, they've given me permission to depart from Proverbs. I hope that's going to be cool with us, but um, that's what we had to do. So I, I appreciate your willingness to kind of go with me. As I was preparing for the week um, I remembered this story about Hagar, the Egyptian in the Old Testament. Some of us may know it, but she's left alone in the desert. She's by herself and abandoned. And at one point, she's kind of at the brink of despair, and God comes to her and rescues her. And she's so enamored with this God or in awe of this God that she decides to give God a name. Does anyone remember this part of the story? Do you remember the name that Hagar gives to God? Anyone? Anyone? And what's that? Yeah. In Hebrew, the, the phrase is El Rui, which is kind of cool. But the, uh, the name that translates into English is the God who sees or the God who sees me. And I was remembering that, you know, when we gather together on a Sunday morning like this, we're, we're gathering in part just to simply celebrate the fact that God keeps doing that. Right? That God keeps coming to people where they live. He keeps coming to find us, people like you and I, where we live. He keeps coming into our lives and actually seeing us, seeing our situations. He keeps hearing our voice. He keeps coming down. That's the story of the incarnation, is it not? That God comes all the way down into the mess of who we are. I don't know about you, but my life is a mess sometimes. I desperately need God to come find me because if God doesn't come find me and if God doesn't see me, I will not be found, I will not be seen, I will not be helped in the ways that I need to be helped. Are you with me? And yet we aren't just celebrating the fact that God sees us and that God comes to us. We're also recognizing when we gather together as his people, we're recognizing that that story and that God's coming makes claims on us, right? And when we come to the scriptures, we aren't coming merely to be just you know, inspired, encouraged, uh, you know, entertained. Of course, we aren't just coming to be entertained, right? We're coming to be engaged. And we're coming so that God might make us into the sort of people who can perform this text, right? And who can begin to move into the world and push the story forward day to day. And it is a story. Would you agree? It is a story. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Bible is this really complex book, as you all know. It's really complicated. The more you study it, the more you recognize it. just has all sorts of layers and dimensions, and sometimes it asks these really difficult questions that it isn't even sure. It sometimes seems like it doesn't even know the answers to. And yet one of the things that the writers of Scripture are pretty clear on, that they have consensus about from start to finish, is that you and me, human beings generally, we don't just live in this random, chaotic, vortex, meaningless circumstances. We aren't just caught up. We aren't stuck in this vacuum, this dark hole. But we are caught up. We live, move, and have our being, as the Apostle Paul says, in a story. And at the heart of that story, at the center of that story, is a God who, as the song we were just singing said, desires to bring healing to the world that he's made and still loves. And at the center of that story is a God who invites people, asks people, provokes, compels people like you and me, regular people, regardless of our level of intelligence, regardless of our earning capacity or our social networks or how attractive we are, regardless of our age, regardless of our gender, gender. We have a God who invites us to be people through whom his healing comes. You with me? This is a pattern that you see playing out in Scripture over and over and over again. It's it's something we can trace back at least as far as Abram and Sarah, the patriarch and matriarch of Israel. Because as you all know, before Jesus, there was Joseph and Mary, and before them, of course, there was King David, and before him there was Moses, and before him were the 12 tribes of Israel, and Jacob, and Rachel, and Isaac, and Rebekah, and before them were Abram, and Sarah, and a God saying, you of all people. I know you're kind of old, you're in your retirement years, you know, you're sort of heading off into the sunset, but... Um, I've got news for you. I want to do something different with your life than you thought you were going to do with your life, something radically different. I want to make you carriers of my blessing. I want to make you and your physical descendants and your spiritual descendants carriers of my blessing. That's the story that God invites Abram and Sarah into. And so a few months ago at Jacob's Well, we actually decided to look a little bit more closely at that story, and we were reminding ourselves over the course of three or four weeks that ultimately, this is not just a story about two people living along time ago in Mesopotamia. Right? It's a story about all of us. It's about the calling that we've inherited, the invitation that God has given to each of us as his people. And we talked talked about their lives. We looked at their lives in three movements or three acts. We talked about blessing and then barrenness and birth blessing, barrenness, and birth, and not necessarily as successive stages, you know, not like we just move from one, and then we're finished with that, and we move to the next one, we're finished with that, and we move to the next one. Sometimes these are simultaneous realities in our lives, right? They're all going on at the same time. There's some blessingness manifesting, there's some barrenness at the same time, and there's also some birth. Yes? Yes? But we decided to look through those lenses, and so as Dave and I were talking this week about what's been going on at Wellspring, for whatever reason, we just landed on this idea of me, again, revisiting this idea of blessing, God's blessing, and the implications that it has for us, the way God's blessing draws us into the story that he's telling and invites us to live a life of deeper faith as we engage with him. So that's where we're going. Is that cool? Makes sense? Excellent. Thanks for the feedback, as you notice, it really helps me. (laughs) All right, so let's start reading in Genesis 12. Um, I'm going to actually invite us to to say this out loud. This is kind of a custom at Jacob's Well to, to recite some of the scripture out loud together. So I'll read this little first phrase, and then I'll invite us to be the voice of God actually up here. So it says, Genesis 12, starting in verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, and now let's read this aloud together. Ready? And then the text actually goes on to say this. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah. Sarah is 66 years old. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there as we begin to think about their story, I want to ask you guys to think about a moment in your life when you were at a crossroads, one of these points of decision, you know, one of these times in your life where you're like, from this point forward, things are going to be dramatically different. Could be that, you know, you're graduating college and moving to some other town where you don't know many people, or you're changing jobs and that's going to be a significant move, or you're making a decision to get married or to have kids or whatever it is. You remember the emotions involved with something like that? For me, I was thinking about my own life. As Dave mentioned, I, um, I think you mentioned I went to grad school for creative yeah. writing. Nice work. Yeah, you, just, you really got that. Uh, Yeah, so about four or five years ago, I was thinking back to this time. I was working at a church at the time in Kansas City, Heartland Church, and decided I wanted to pursue graduate school in creative writing. And so I spent about three months transitioning out of my job and applying to 10 different schools all over the country from the West Coast to the East Coast. And it got to the end of that process. I remember it was actually New Year's Eve, and I was at a New Year's Eve party down in the crossroads, which is convenient. I was down in the crossroads. But it occurred to me that this time next year I could be w- in one of 10 different places. I have no idea where I'm headed. And so I decided to go on this walk. I just, it was freezing cold outside, but I put my coat back on and I went outside while everyone was, you know, doing the party thing. And I went on this walk around downtown and I ended up in this back alley. I remember having this conversation with God kind of out loud under my breath where I was saying to him, all right, man, wherever you want to take me, like wherever we're going to go, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And it's like I was taking the names of these cities. The image for me was, it's like I was taking the city names and putting them in a hat and just saying, pick one out whatever you want. Wilmington, North Carolina, if you want me to go there, I'll go there. It's in the hat. Boston, Massachusetts, if you want me to go, it's in the hat. Missoula, Montana, I really don't want to go there. (laughs) But, you know, if you want me to, I suppose we can have that conversation, (laughs) right? But I remember this feeling of incredible, like, joy and exhilaration because it felt a little risky, you know? It felt a little dangerous. And at the same time, there was this sense of Real trepidation and fear. On the one hand, it was like, this is going to be an adventure. This is going to be cool. On the other hand, it was like, what are you thinking? This is a terrible idea. You know, good grief. What have I gotten myself into? And so when I think about Abram and Sarah and God coming to them, inviting them into this thing in their old age, you know, it's in their twilight years, in their dotage, God coming to them and saying, I want to do something with your life that you didn't anticipate. I imagine it's got to be a good news, bad news situation. You know, the good news, of course, is they are going to be blessed. God has promised them this. He wants to make them into a great nation. He wants to make their name great, et cetera, et cetera. The bad news, of course, is it's going to cost. And it's, the cost is going to be significant, yes? It's like he comes to them and draws these concentric circles around their lives. He says, I want you to leave your country and your people and your father's house. Notice the way that God, it's like he presumably moves from the things that they are least attached, the things to which they are least attached, down to the things to which they are most attached. If we think about those, let's just take those individually for a moment. Country, people, father's house, what might God be inviting them to give up? I'm going to ask us to actually give me some feedback here in a second. If God were to come to you and say, I want you to leave America I want you to leave Wellspring Community Church, and I want you to leave your family, maybe your close circle of friends. What are the sorts of things that God is inviting you to walk away from? Let's say country. Let's start with country first. If God were to say, I want you to leave your country, what are the things he's asking Abram and Sarah to give up there? Any ideas? Give me some feedback. Yeah. Identity. Identity. National identity, right? I'm an American. I'm a U.S. citizen. That's part of who I am. Yes. Yes. Others? Yeah, the work that you've been doing, right? Whatever you, whatever you do for a living, absolutely. I heard culture back here, is that right? Absolutely. I mean, do we have any idea how much our culture defines the way that we think and the way that we feel about the world? Can we, can we imagine, you know? I mean, you go to a different country, right, that's like radically different, very quickly culture becomes present to you, right? What else? Karen. Safety, comfort, no doubt. What if we took the next layer down? What if we talk about people? God says, leave your country, your people, or your clan. So we might think about that as our extended friend network, our extended church network. What is God asking them to give up there? Yeah, things you love, people you love. What else? What was that? Security. No doubt. Economic stability, perhaps, right? I thought about, I wrote down a couple myself. I thought about shared history. You know, you've been with a group of people for four or five, six years. You've got a lot of stories, right, that no one else knows about. You go to some other place, and you try to tell them some of these stories, and it's like they're engaged for maybe two minutes, right? Showing them the photo album, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's great. They're trying to skip all the way to the end of the photo album. What about family? Country, people, father's house. Support. Trust. Intimacy, maybe. Yeah. I had inheritance. I wrote down inheritance. Sometimes positive inheritance, right? The things that we've been given by virtue of the fact that we we're growing up in this family that are really we're really excited about, sometimes negative inheritance, you know? I wonder sometimes if what God means by leave your father's house for some of us is, why don't you leave behind some of the destructive patterns you've inherited from your mom, your dad, et cetera, you know? But yeah, think about this. This is really fascinating to me, the way God decides to deal with Abram and Sarah. He comes to them and he issues this imperative. He draws these circles around their life and he says, here's what I want you to leave behind. And if you think about it, what God is asking them to forsake is clearly defined. It is very, um, ev- it's very explicit what God wants them to leave behind, right? All of that stuff is neatly parsed and categorized. Now, what is not neatly parsed and categorized, what's not nearly as well-defined is what? Is what? Yeah, absolutely. Where they're headed, right? It's an unknown path. It's an unknown destination. It's an unknown timeline. All of that stuff is TBD, right? It's like God invites them from this thing that is known to something that is totally unknown. He invites them from this place of relative security to this place of insecurity, this thing that's defined to this thing that's undefined. And yet, think about this, it is precisely the lack of definition. It is precisely the ambiguity that God offers Abram and Sarah in terms of what he's calling them into that makes his invitation to them crystal clear. And God's invitation to Abram and Sarah is not that they would, by their own volition, their own competence, their own own ingenuity, figure out exactly where they're supposed to go and how they're supposed to get there. You with me? The invitation is not that they would have a lot of answers to everyone's questions when people start saying, where are you going again? And why are you doing that exactly? And like, when you get there, what are you going to be up to? The answer is not, or the invitation is not that they would crack the code the invitation is that they would enter into a relationship with their creator based on trust. Based not on their reliability, but on God's reliability. Not on their credibility or competence, but God's credibility and God's competence. It's the very lack of definition that makes God's invitation to them immediately apparent. And this is often the way that God deals with us as human beings. Would you agree? And why does he do that? Why does God get so irritatingly opaque at times when it comes to the sorts of things he wants us to engage in? Well, I think at least one reason is this, that I think first and foremost, above everything else, that what God desires from you and I is relationship. And I think he understands, God understands human nature well enough to know that if he were to give us the full picture, if he were to give us the entire kind of revelation and just say, hey, here's how this is going to play out, he knows that circumvents or short circuits relationship. I think about Jesus in Mark, I think it is chapter three, when he's at the beginning of his ministry, and it says that he's... Basically, recruiting followers. He goes up, it says, on a mountainside and begins to call to him those he wants to be his disciples. And it says he calls them for two reasons at least. But the first one, he calls them so that they might be with him. So that they might be with him. You hear the relationship built into that statement? And then the second reason he calls them is so that they might go out and do, you know, good works and be a blessing to the world. But the first is that they might be with him. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself in a place in life where I'm like, God, if you would just tell me what you want me to do, what this is supposed to look like, I swear I will be obedient. I am good at being obedient. And by the way, I'm a much nicer person when you give me some more information. It's just the way it works. Much more Christ-like. (laughs) <laughs> and God says, yeah, I get that, you know, but here's the thing you don't understand is I'm not out to be a travel agent. You know? I'm not interested in just kind of drawing you a map and saying, oh, here's how you get to this place, or giving you just a little blueprint or writing you some directions and then sending you on your way. I'm interested in actually being in the thing with you, in the story with you. I'm interested in unfolding the story for you as you and I move together from place to place to place. And so sometimes he does that with us. He comes to us and he draws a little circle around some aspect of our life and he says, this thing right here, you know, this Place, this job, this relationship, this life stage, this thing that has given you a lot of kind of meaning, that's given your life a lot of meaning and texture that makes total sense to you, that this thing that is a source of security and comfort to you, I want you to let that drop. Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. You sense that God might be inviting you to let go of something familiar. You sense a change of some sort on the horizon and yet you aren't really sure of what that, you know, means for you, what the implications are for your family, what you're supposed to do next, where you're supposed to go next and that's frustrating to you. Naturally. Well, you know the invitation, right? What the Abram and Sarah story reminds us is that it's in the ambiguity that God's invitation to us is made plain. And the invitation is linked to this twofold promise. You know, Abram and Sarah, they're asked to give up one identity for another identity, as we mentioned, one place for another place, right? They're asked to give up their imagined future, whatever that was, for a future that they cannot yet fully see or fully apprehend, with the promise that they will be blessed and that they will become a blessing. Yes? You might say it like this, that embedded in God's call to you and I is a promise that's meant not just for us, but for other people. And sometimes we get a little bit enamored, do we not, with the idea that God is out to bless us and that he wants to be really good to us, and we sort of fixate on that idea to the exclusion of the other piece of that puzzle, right? We begin to forget about the end in mind when it comes to God's blessing on our lives. He might say it like this, that when God calls Abram and Sarah, when God calls regular people like us, he issues an invitation and a promise and a commissioning. He commissions us, commissions them, commissions us to become instruments of his blessing in the world, to become a conduit of his goodness and his generosity and his justice and peace and truth to people all around us. And by the way, one of the ways the world that we live in loves to mimic the voice of God in our lives is by giving us the promise without that commissioning. In other words, it's by, and we hear these voices all the time inviting us to risk as God might want us to risk, to leave something for something unknown as God might want us to do, but with the promise, primarily with the promise that, that is meant for us, that we will be blessed. Maybe it's more money or more prestige or more profile or whatever that is. Of course, it's not that money and prestige and profile are bad or evil in and of themselves, right? It's just that when it comes to the blessing of God, as we see it play out in this story, it has a very, God has a very different end in mind. And for you and I, if we hear a voice inviting us, pulling us towards something new, and yet the promise is meant primarily for us— We can probably, you know, suspect that we aren't necessarily hearing the voice of God, and we might just be hearing the voice of our own ambition. Or at least we haven't got the full picture yet. At least it's not really filled out for us yet. Because in God's economy, blessing is not just something we're given. It's not just something we receive. It's something we become. Yes? I will bless you, God says to Abram and Sarah, and I will make you a blessing. That's my purpose. And he asked them to make this external move. Go from your country, your people, your father's house in faith that he is reliable and that he's going to bring his promises to fruition. But there's another way to think about this invitation. And as I was wrestling with it this week, I thought I want to spend a couple minutes here, at least a few minutes here, because I think it might resonate with some of us or connect with some of us. If you know the Abram and Sarah narrative well, then you know that by this time, by Genesis 12, at this point in the story, they're already aware that they are, as a couple, that they're barren, that they are childless, they can't have kids. And yet, they are living in this story, they're living in the flow of this narrative where kids are just popping out everywhere. They're all over the place. If you go back to Genesis 11, just one chapter back, I want to show you guys actually a pattern here. Check it out. Starts. This is the account of Shem's line. Now, Shem was a son of Noah, okay? So he was on the ark, and Noah's family has now come off the ark, and they're beginning to, you know, create new um, peoples on the earth. And it says that two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphixad. Now, that's a name we don't hear very often. We need some more Arphixads, I think, in, in the world. You agree? Anyone here pregnant? <laughs> you might consider. And after he became the father of Arphixad, Shem lived 500 years, here's the pattern, 500 years, and had other sons and daughters. When Arzitzad lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Arzitzad lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. Now watch this unfold. This other guy, Shelah, lives 403 years and has other sons and daughters. Next slide. The next guy, 430 years, other sons and daughters. The next guy, 209 years, other sons and daughters. The next guy, 207 years, other sons and daughters. 200 years, other sons and daughters, 119 years, other sons and daughters, which brings us to this guy, Terah. Terah is the father of Abram. It says, Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. Check it out. Now, Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. It's the first time that word appears in the Bible. And so if you can imagine being Abram and Sarah and living in this flow, being these people who have, they're carrying, you know, these expectations of what it's like to be a couple in the line of their descendants, you know, what it's supposed to be, what what it's like to be a married couple, what it's like to be adults in that world, what it's like to be fully human beings. And they've got to be carrying with them this incredible disappointment as it relates to the way their lives have turned out. Would you agree? And so as I thought about that dynamic in particular, that weight of disappointment, I just began to wonder how many of us would say that we're in a similar place, would say, I'm struggling with a disappointment like that. It's not that so much that we're at this crossroads. It's not like we're at a watershed moment in our life and something really dramatic is about to take place. We're just living our lives. We're just doing the thing. We're just going from day to day and, you know, place to place and working our job and being with our friends and being with our family and life is normal, and yet we're aware. Some part of us is very aware, acutely aware that something in our lives, parts of our lives are not turning out the way that we had hoped they would, the way that we wish they would, and we're suffering from this incredible discouragement about that. I was talking to a friend of mine a few months ago now, and we were just, he has a great life. He has a great family and a cool job and a cool house and all of that stuff, and we had yet talking about some of the anxieties that we are struggling with when it comes to our own lives, and at one point he said, you know, I've just been thinking about a lot of people that we know, and I just feel like a lot of people at this stage in their life, late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, are just starting to say, well, I guess this is life. They're living with just this resignation. I guess this is life. I guess this is just how things go. There's an interesting moment in this, in this narrative if you read a couple verses down from where we just read. It says, Abram and Sarah had settled in the land that they were living, and the implication, the idea is that they had kind of sat back into their situation, that they had kind of leaned back and just resigned themselves to life just turning out the way that they thought it was going to turn out. It's just going to be this way. We're just going to, you know, die childless, and we're going to, you know, retire and just like hang out, and you know, life's fine. It's not great. It's fine. I guess this is life. Maybe for you it's a decision that you made a few years ago and you really regret. Maybe it's a job thing that you're just really, you know, um, it's, it's just not fulfilling to you. It feels kind of directionless. Maybe there are relationships that have gone south and are really discouraging to you. It could just be your life generally, the timeline of your life, the scope of your life. you feel yourself kind of thinking at times, you you think at times, I was supposed to be here by now. I was supposed to be established in a career. I was supposed to be married by this age. I told myself by age 30, this. By age 35, this. Age 45, this. Supposed to have kids by now. Supposed to have that issue figured out. How is it that I am still struggling with that freaking thing? Or you're looking around you and you're thinking, everyone else seems to have their act together, you know? I don't know what the deal is with me, but it's like I look around and everyone seems to know what they're doing. Or Maybe you're one of these people who has accomplished what you set out to accomplish. You know, you did the thing. You got the great job. You established a career. You established a family. You have great kids, all of that stuff. But you're now just at a place in life where you're still feeling lost, a little bit aimless, a little bit visionless. Here's what I think. I think sometimes when God asks you and I to leave our country and our people and our Father's house, I think sometimes it means exactly that. I think sometimes it means uprooting geographically, uprooting relationally, you know, moving out into the unknown. You know what, though? I think sometimes it means something different. I think sometimes what it really means for us in just our regular day-to-day life is that we would set aside all of the expectations, all of our expectations or other people's expectations regarding the shape of our life, what it's supposed to be about right now and what progress is supposed to look like. I think it means that we abandon our metrics of success and failure and whatever culturally inherited definitions we've been handed down about what it means today to live a significant or a successful life, and it means allowing God to lead us to a new place where he gives us a new paradigm. There's this place in Genesis 15, you should go look at it later, but Abram and Sarah have now gone on the journey. They are living the life God has called them to, and yet they still don't have a child. And it comes to a point in the story where Abram and Sarah are really frustrated, and Abram begins complaining to God and saying, listen, there's, there's still, we still don't have a kid. Like, what's going on? You promised us that we were going to have a family, that we were going to bless the nations, Right? And it says that God takes him out of the tent, takes him outside and has him look up at the sky, look up at the stars. And it's this picture of God delivering Abram from his own claustrophobic understanding of what his life is supposed to be like right now, his own claustrophobic timeline, his own claustrophobic plans. It's this picture of God giving him a new perspective, saying there's more than just the little ceiling here of your life that you keep staring at, right? It's God saying to him, listen, I know the last few years for you have been incredibly frustrating. I know you're discouraged. I know that you're tired. I know you're angry. I know you're disappointed. I know life is difficult. But what I'm saying to you is, you are still in a good story. I promise you that. And sometimes what it means for you and me to just let God lead us to that place, to a new land, or to take us outside, it just means shutting down all of the voices, the voices within. And there are plenty of those. Would you agree? The voices within and the voices without that say, here's what it means to measure up as a human being right now. Here's the prescribed path for you and your family. Here's what it means to to live your life successfully. It means kind of throwing those voices off, shutting them down, and allowing God to take us to a place where measuring up means one thing and one thing only. It means believing him, believing that he sees us, as Hagar said, Believing that he knows what is going on with us, that he hears the sound of our voice when we speak to him, that he loves us, that he is still leading us, that he has not walked out on us, he has not given up on us, that God is on our side, and that God is determined, despite your deficiencies and my deficiencies and all the mistakes that we make and all of our issues, whatever those may be, God is determined to make us, you and me, a gift to the world. That's what it means to follow the God of Abram and Sarah. He's a good God. Do you agree? Because the promise of God is not that you and I will be a success on our terms or on our timeline. The promise of God to Abram and Sarah, to you and me, is that we will be a blessing, which is a much better thing than a success with me, it's that we would be a blessing on his terms and according to his timeline. We were made for more than the American thing. What is the American thing? I heard it described a few, few years ago like this. American thing starts here, you risk early. Meaning it's all right to risk, you know, you just need to do it early while you don't really have that much to lose and just sort of, you know, get it out of your system. Take chances then, sow your wild oats if you have to, go a little bit crazy, and you risk early so at some point you can find your groove. Graduate college, move out of your parents' house, start paying off some debts, get a job, get a clue, find a career of some sort, get a little traction, start waking up at, you know, 9 a.m. maybe. do something with your life, you begin to make your way in the world, you find your groove so that at some point then you can settle and establish. Settle and establish. You buy a house, you put down some roots, you begin to accomplish things. You know, you move up the ladder, the chain of success, you start to set goals, you start to stake your claim in the world, you settle and establish so you can earn and save. You start having conversations like you've never had before, like Dave and I had actually about six months ago. You start talking about your 401k, your 403b, you know, your investments. People are asking, how's your portfolio? Oh, it's strong. It's quite strong. Right? Right? You build toward the future, you earn and save so that at some point then you can consolidate and maintain speed. And this is just where you're trying to get your stuff in the biggest pile possible without losing any momentum. You're trying to keep the train on the tracks, you aren't flooring it anymore, you just want to make sure that you're making good decisions, that you're headed in the right direction. Consolidate and maintain speed so then you can finally retire and coast. And we know what this is about, right? You move to some place where there's more sun, you start, you know, playing more golf or going to the lake a little bit more, or, you know, whatever it is, right? Going to the beach, you eat a little bit more at Denny's. <laughs> and no knock on Denny's, but then you die. And this is, of course, not to say that, you know, any of this stuff that following this prescribed path is is a terrible thing. It's just to say that if we aren't careful, we might end up 30, 40 years down the line. Because we're in this current, you know? We're in the flow of our culture. We're living in this current that is really strong and really fast. And if we aren't careful, we're gonna get way down the line and look back and think to ourselves, what on earth just happened? It was over like that. And God's path for us ultimately is is very different. God's path goes like this Follow me with abandon at every age. With the eager expectation that I can use your life for my purposes. Risk often, never completely settle. Be different, be mine. And die gloriously. Let me say it again. Follow me with abandon at every age. With the eager expectation that I can use your life for my purposes. Risk often. Never completely settle. Be different. Be mine. Die gloriously. How do we die gloriously? It's not that we try and go out in like a blaze of glory, right? We die gloriously by attaching ourselves to a good story, to a reliable God, and letting him lead us every step of the way. And to aim for being a success, you and I, it's a lot of times, if, we, if, if that's our goal, it means that we try and make the story predominantly about us, right, about what we want, about our own importance, and then we get frustrated when the story isn't going as we want it to. It's like we make God our agent. And yet to aim for being a blessing, on the other hand, that's to make ourselves God's agent. Is it not? We become God's agent. And we remember that he is invested, that God is invested in our story. And when things go poorly for us and we find ourselves at a point in life where we're really frustrated, we stay calm. We breathe, we go for a walk, we pray, we take a nap, we call a friend, we eat something. And then we ask the question again, what does it mean right now today for me to be a blessing to other people in this place, in this time where God has me right now? And so I just want to ask you uh, to consider what, in what ways is God asking you to trust him? today? Is it that he might be asking you to set something aside, to leave literally your country or your people or your father's house to trade something that's known for that which is unknown, or is he merely asking you to step outside, to be open to a new perspective, to set aside your own expectations, your own metrics, your own timeline, is he inviting you away from a paradigm that has been causing you tremendous anxiety and stress and he's trying to remind you that you're still in a good story in what ways might be god invi- might god be inviting you to trust him in the message romans 4 says this we'll close here the story that we're given you and me is a god's story what we read in scripture is abram abraham That's Abram, you know, he gets his name changed. What we read in Scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. That was the turning point. Let's pray together.